to. Hello and welcome to the 21st of these podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gomatra. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull, and I'll be your host today. In this episode, I talk with James Westland of Tobermory. Born in a castle near Stirling, James, or Seamus as we know him, grew up around Alloa before going to uni in St Andrews to head offshore and work in the oil trade before coming back to land where he studied Gaelic at Salmorostig in Skye. It was at Salmore that he met Moira, who later became his wife. Eventually, they chose to settle on Mull, where they live to this day with their family in Tobermory. Our conversation moves between Seamus's love of geology and the land and how that journey started for him in the Ochel Hills, how landscape gives off certain feelings, Gaelic music and culture, his working life here on Mull, and the geological makeup of our islands and why they are so interesting. At the very end, we also talk about Seamus's late father-in-law, the much-missed Duncan McGilp. We also have a wee natter in Gaelic at one point of the conversation for a couple of minutes. As ever, links to the topics covered can be found on the website at whatwedointhewinter.com. Nisht! Hamitolachachur Haley Orth, Le Seamus, Nya James Westland. Who are you? Well, my name's James Westland. I'm originally from uh, the Stirling area. Moved around a bit, been to various places. Um, it's like a tour around the country, if you like. I, was, I went to University of St Andrews. I worked offshore of Aberdeen. I ended up in Skye at the Gaelic College there, which is where I met my future wife. And then I've ended up in Mull, and that's, uh, I think, where I'll stay. Whereabouts outside of Stirling are, are, you, are you from originally? Well, I was, I, was, I was actually born on the campus of Stirling University. It used to be, uh, what do you call it, it was a maternity hospital there. Airfree Castle was a maternity hospital. Right. And uh, all my friends at school were born there as well. You know, we used to joke, well, we're all princes and princesses. We're born in a castle. But uh, I spent the first uh, few years of my life in Alva at the foot of the Ojo Hills. And I think that's probably where I got my love of hill walking and geology and all looking and exploring and stuff like that. Uh, but I went, I went to school in Alloa um, and Alloa Academy. I left there in 19, ugh, 1975, went to university and... Um, I've moved around a bit since then, as I said. So as a child, you were exploring the hills. What was it particularly that, that really attracted you to the hills? I think the fact that we're on my doorstep. You know, it's like having this playground, just this big, wild playground just outside your front door almost, you know? And it's it's a thing that, you know, I've always... And I've always enjoyed going back there. Anytime I'm visiting relatives in that area, I always make a point of, if I can, if the weather allows and I've got the time, to take a wee trip up the, the hills of home, if you like, you know, just to uh, reacquaint myself with them. You know? Is there anyone in particular that's a favourite? Like Demayat? Uh, it's, it's hard to say. Demayat's good. It's, Demayat's quite nice. It stands alone and it's uh, it's in a really prominent position. But, uh, you know, good old Ben Kluch, the highest point of the Ojos, is, um, you know, it's a great walk. And it's uh, I first went up there when I was two years old, carried on my father's shoulders, so that was my first major hill. It's Ben Kluke at the age of two. So as a child wandering around the Oakle Hills, what were the features that, that stood out for you and in terms of the land itself? The, th- the, thing, the thing about the Oakle Hills is they're, you know, they're, it's, it's a very steep face you know, in, in Clackmanninshire there, and it's, and it's really dramatic. You've got these glens that run up through the hills, and they're, they're really magnificent gorges. Each village has got its own glen going up into the Oakle and you know, these were used as a, a source of water to power the mills that they used to have at one, there at one time. You know, the uh, weaving was a big, big thing at one time. Um, but the 
these these glens they're deeply they're deeply incised the hills and uh, you know you can it's very dramatic scenery it's really yeah. really quite interesting and one of the things that um, you know the Ochos is a uh, is quite famous amongst geologists for is the semi precious stones that you can find there you can find things like amethyst you can find agates you know I used to love raking around looking for these in that area there's a there's a, there's a glen called the Silver Glen which is which was uh, mined for silver way back in the 18th century and it, it funded the Jacobite rebellions apparently. John Erskine uh, who was the landowner used it to uh, fund the first Jacobite rebellion apparently and there's, there's a book being written about it called, um, I think it's called Jacobites and Bonanza, it's named something like that and it's all about the, the silver that was found there and how it was used and it's, it's quite a, it's quite a t- story, you know, it's a good romantic tale uh, and I used to go there and in the hope of finding lumps of silver and things, but you know, there's, there's nothing left now. That's, uh, but uh, afterwards, they found that uh, it was a, a good place to get cobalt, so they mined cobalt there as well. And it's, it's still quite interesting just to wander about there and see the remains of the old mine workings. And you know, there's a, a slightly sinister feel to it, you know. But it's uh, no, it's, it's a great place for a wander. That's one of the things that I'm very interested in, in the sense of the, the, the feeling that land gives off. Mm-hmm. In Aboriginal culture, they refer to sick land, mm-hmm. uh, as, as I understand it. Uh, and sick land uh, are places where there's radioactive ore mm-hmm. below the, the surface of the ground. And so the areas of people knew to move on, not spend too long in certain areas because they would get sick. Yeah. What do you think, it, what is it that um, defines a place feeling sinister or welcoming or happy? Is there anything kind of specific that defines that in terms of yeah it's a good question it's a difficult one because there are some places where people say there is an atmosphere yes and alva glen itself is one of them there's a particular bit in it where they call that they call it the dwarf's tomb and apparently there was some a tomb opened up and uh, there was a the remains of this a dwarf was found there and there was also a bad luck followed it and people say it's still got a sinister feel today uh, I've known people say other places in the Highlands, like the, the South Morer, for instance, yes. in that area, it's got a sinister feel to it. In fact, we were talking about this just on Facebook to somebody just earlier today. Mm-hmm. Somebody was was talking about the famous Clutie Well. You know, there's one up at Munlochy in the, the Black Isle, mm-hmm. and they're saying it's got a sinister feel to it, that particular place. Now, I mean, I'm a scientist, and you think the idea of a sinister feel to a place just doesn't quite ring true. But no. at the same time, there is that feeling when you go to some of these places, you know, you can get a feeling from it, you know, and whatever that's due to is, is hard to say. But uh, yeah, there is that some places. And that, that glen, like I said, where the, in the Ochos, where the, the dwarf's tomb was, you know, it's definitely got that feeling about it, you know. Have you come across anything like that in the hills of Muller? Any place that feels really warm and welcoming uh, on the opposite side of that? Oh, the hills of Muller are always warm and welcoming. <laughs> even, in <laughs> in, the snow. even in the snow. No, that's that's <laughs> when you see them at their best. No, there's not, I can't say there's anything like that here that I've encountered. and I've, I've been at virtually every hill there is in Mull over the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the small ones and the, the highest ones as well. There's um, You get a different feeling in different places and... Um, but it's you know on a good on a good day when it's a good winter's day a good summer's day it's always a positive uplifting feeling again yeah it's an intangible thing in many ways isn't it mm-hmm. it's, yeah. um and i i wonder if it's reflected in the names in gaelic as well the place names of places um, no the place names are fascinating when you look at some of the names you just wonder why was it called that yeah. where did they get that name from skurvathi aha uh-huh. it's like Really? Uh-huh. You know, wolves? Yes. Yeah, wow. Well, you know, and uh, yeah, and, and some, sometimes they seem really incongruous, you know. Yeah. But other times they're very well named, you know, like Ben Moore itself is the highest mountain, and, uh, and although it's not the most exciting name, it's, it's the most appropriate one for it, you know. So. 
So school in Alva. Mm-hmm. What was what was school like in Alva? Well, I, I, only, I didn't go to school in Alva. It was in Alva oh, I went to school. Sorry, I did apologize. Al- yeah, um, I only spent the first three years of my life in Alva. Um, yeah, oh, it was good. I enjoyed school. I was, uh, I, was, I, was, I was really quite into science subjects. That was the thing. I mean, a chemistry, physics, maths and geography, these were the things that really got me going, you know, and that's, I suppose that's what I've followed through on, you know, with... Uh, what why? I've done since then. If you don't mind me ask, <clears throat> me asking, why? why? Why do you think that was? Why what, science? Why, yeah. why particular? I don't know. Because you're a gifted musician as well, so why Why science? I, I don't know. It's just, I suppose it was It was a case of, as well as enjoying these subjects, actually, I was actually good at them. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I was, it was a, I suppose, growing up in the 60s, 60s was a time when science and technology was everywhere. Yes. You know, you had the moon race, you had yes. the... You had the arms race, you know. There was, yeah. there was also the, the technology was changing rapidly, and um, if you think about the children's programs all around, all the Jerry Anderson stuff, even the, the spy stuff like James Bond, it was all very technological, and it was yes. all new fancy technology. And I suppose. Um, so you wanted to be a Bond villain, basically. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the sort of thing, you know. It was, um, I, and I think that's probably a big part of it because I was, I was really into these programs and you know stuff like that, and. Uh, all, all the gadgets and that's that type of thing so i mean I, I've, I've been tinkering about with electronics since i was about 12 so you can work out that it was about 50 years ago so know? what was your first electronic device was it a radio or a crystal set or something or yeah it was, it was radio yeah that's the thing trying to i mean it didn't work but yeah we had a go at it you know and yeah my mates at school would chip in with this as well and there was an electronics club a uh, after school as part of the you know physics or physics teacher ran it and so I used to go to that and that, that was good fun you know so you went from school in Alawa to study at St Andrews University. Right, yeah. What did you study at St Andrews? I did geology. Well, I did chemistry and geology to begin with, but I, I did a geology degree. So that was that was really good. Yeah. I mean, my interest in geology started probably, again, exploring the hills, like I said, you know. I had a really good geography teacher at school who had a... Well, he was, he was, he was kind of insane, almost. He was a he was kind of <laughs> odd character. But he had this great rock collection, this amazing rock collection that lay down both sides of the classroom. Mm-hmm. And I was absolutely fascinated by these. And that was, uh, you know, that was, that was probably what really got me going, you know. Were there any particular specimens that stick out in your memory to this day? No, really, it was just lumps of rock, but they were all so different, yeah. you know. They were, they, 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 you know, if I was to look at them now, I'd think, oh, how did you get excited about that? But at the time, it was really, really good, you know. Yeah. It was, uh, so, no, that was, and he was, it was quite inspiring, it was good. He was very much uh, keen on physical geography, so things like river systems, glaciation, all that type of thing. And that was a thing I could easily relate to, you know, my own wanderings in the hills and stuff, you know, it's good. Your interest in music as well. You've been a, a lifelong follower of Runrig as well, haven't you? Oh, yes, uh-huh. Runrig and um, Ocean and Silly Wizard bands like that, you know. What is it about their music that strikes home with you, do you think? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I've I've always liked my, my music a bit on the a electric side, you know. Yeah. I like I, mean, I like hard rock, heavy metal, that sort of thing. And, yes. uh, but, um, You're a geologist after all. Well, yeah, that's right. A geologist, <laughs> you have to like hard rock, yeah. Um, but the but Runrig was, there was something very fresh about it, you know, the, 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 you know especially their early stuff. I liked the Gaelic. I liked the, the, the just the, the arrangements, the instrumentation. It was, yeah, it's good. That early Runrig stuff is just excellent. For me, Turugi and Ruach oh, always yeah. stick in my head. Malcolm Jones's work and that was just... it was brilliant. And I remember that, that actually the first time I heard that it wasn't from the Runrig record. STV used to use it as their closing music, and even that was when TV didn't. Run. Yeah, at the end of the night they would finish with Turugi and Ruach, and that was. That was what they had under spinning logo to the sound of that. Wow. That would be about 1983, 84, about then, yeah.
with uh, your degree in geology, so was it a degree or a master's? Oh, you got a master's recently. Yeah, I got a master's recently. Yeah, the, the, the geology degree was, um, like I said, after that I worked offshore. Um, yeah. so I worked in oil rigs in North Sea for a number of years. So how how did you apply that knowledge? What is the Because I've always I understand in principle what it is, but how do you apply the knowledge from a degree into um, working in an oil rig? Actually, there's... <laughs> It's, it's having the degree that gets you the job more than, you know, the right. content of the degree. Because, I mean, the, the stuff, most of what I studied at university wasn't really applicable to what I was doing offshore. But, uh, you know, the ability to think and to improvise and to come up with solutions to problems is, is you know, as I think when you're doing a university degree in a, in a subject like geology, you, you learn to think that way. And it was good fun. I really enjoyed it. What it was, was it about it that was fun? I think the... The fact, the thing I liked best was the fact you'd spend two weeks offshore, you'd work yourself, you know, 12 hours a day it was, you'd work, work, work hard all for 12 hours at a time, 12 hours shift, 12 hours off, and then you go offshore two weeks, and that two weeks was your own, you'd do what you want with it, yeah. and in my case that was right, off to the hills, dump the case, pick up the rucksack, head off to Cairngorms or wherever, you know, that was, so I spent it. Where were you living at the time? I, I lived in Aberdeen, I lived just outside Aberdeen on the west side, so it's... And it was, it was very handy. I mean, I could be, you could be on an oil rig at six o'clock in the morning. You could be in the Cairngorms about lunchtime. You know, it's great. Perfect. Good, good for a single man, I would say. I mean, for for married men, it's, I can see there's a lot of problems, you know. You, yeah. I used to see that a lot. But, uh, you know, being a single guy working offshore, you know, yeah, it's great. So from um, the oil rigs, um, what what led you to study Gaelic? Well, I had been studying Gaelic when I was offshore anyway, because, you know, you've got all this free time on an oil rig and you can either spend it watching films, eating or playing poker, I chose to study Gaelic. And there was, you know, living in Aberdeen, I knew a lot of people through the University Celtic Society. Yeah. And there was a lot of men from the islands worked offshore anyway. So there was, yes. you know, there was never any shortage of people who spoke Gaelic. I, I just worked my way through Canshaw and, you know, programmes like that. Hey, yeah, Canshaw was one of my early ones, you know. Yeah. Teach yourself Gaelic, of course. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and, I, and it was... Um, that was better. Did, did a lot of learning offshore. Yeah. Why do you think uh, learning Gaelic was important to you at that point in life? I don't know. Again, it goes back to this thing about wandering the hills. You'd look at the... And I think you'll find there's a lot of Gaelic learners amongst hillwalkers. Yeah, there are, yeah. It's a common thing because you've got yeah. the map and it's got all these names on it and some of them you might know know a little bit about. But most of it is, especially the Highlands, you know, it's just... It's like, it's like, this, it's like there's a film over the map that you can't quite see through. You're only seeing part of it. Yeah. Once you've learned Gaelic, that film has been removed and you're seeing it in a completely different way. And the names come alive and they mean something. Yeah. And I think that was one of, the, one of the main things that got me started. Plus Gaelic music. I used to, I mean, it was, oh, I used to listen to programmes like, what do you call it, Shower Beha. Remember that? Do you remember Shower Beha? No. Uh, early 70s and um, what else? Well, you know, people like you know, Callum Kennedy and... Oh, uh, yeah. uh, Alistair Gillis and you know Nahawkenick, yes Nahawkenick. Don't forget Nahawkenick. I no, there's and these you know that. I owe Donny Dutton a debt. He was certainly part of my Gaelic education. Yeah, no, used to know. Yeah, I used to love these programs, and it was it struck a chord somewhere. I don't know, you know, because not much Gaelic in my family. You'd have to go back quite a way, I think, to find any. But no, it was good, and and used to listen to Brundig tapes when I was offshore as well. You know, that was. Used to used to play that while working, yeah. So work worked in a portable laboratory, so there was a lot of sitting about, you know, processing data and stuff. So yeah, put, put some Gaelic music on the cassette player. <laughs> so the, the choice of studying it uh, from a book is quite radically different to making a life choice to go to Salmarostig in Sky. Mm-hmm. What was the 
the impetus to go and, and move yourself to Sky and study there? I got made redundant in 1986. Oh, fair enough. That was the thing. There was a huge downturn in the oil industry that year. Yeah. And I, I thought to myself, well, what are you going to do here? Are you going to hang around until it picks up again? Which, I don't know how long that was going to be. I um, had made loads of friends through the Gaelic movement, if you could call it that. And I thought, and one of my best mates at the time was actually a guy called Peter Morgan. He, you maybe know him. He's, uh, he was at Solma Rostig at the time. Okay. And I went over to visit him once and I thought, oh, this is brilliant. Yeah. Got to come here. So it was, uh, you know, the d- decision was made, you know, I'm going to go here. And, you know, I'd made a bit of money when I worked offshore so I could afford to do it. And, um, brilliant. Yeah. So, that, that, and um, like I said, that's where I met my future wife was in the yeah. sky. So that all worked out quite nicely. So how, yeah, how did you meet Moira? When, when, was, when was the first time you met her? I was 1988, because um, I had finished the two-year course at Solmore Rostig and I was then working in the office right. at Solmore, um, doing, doing office work and IT work, was mainly what it was. Yeah. And um, Moira was there for a short while, and I just happened to meet her there. But, we, you know, we didn't start going out till quite some time after. Right. That was just an, an initial introduction, if you like. And yeah. But uh, no, it was, it was there were good times though. Solmar Rostig was a lot, it was a lot smaller. It was a lot more intimate. It was um, the old barn. Yeah, uh-huh. And uh, you know there was a, it was very tightly integrated into the community because there was no accommodation yeah. other than you know, like holiday houses and you know getting a, get finding uh, cottages in in the district. Yeah. Um, so it was uh, you know there was there was a lot of uh, integration with the local people. And, you know, there was, a, there was some tremendous characters in that part of Sky at that time, you know. Any that stand out particularly the test of the time? Well, there was um, my neighbour, Archie MacDonald. He was a great guy. His, his widow is still alive, Betty. She's still in Sky. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, he was just full of old tales. And he, he made Gaelic learners extremely welcome. He was very, very... Uh, had a very, very positive outlook about everything. And, um, you know, he was delighted to have all these young people coming into the district and speaking Gaelic and doing stuff with the language. And No, well, he was a good guy. Mershin, stuck can be female at being Gaelic here, so I'm just going to go on the Arcanon, Kutramach, Erson, the Lion Shaw, a cheating. Kersana, a Kutramach, Erson, a Huladunia. Kersana, a Kutramach, well, Mara, Shanakal, a doll. Cheergan canon, Cheerganum. A land without a language is a land without a soul. I had a bullock cursed, and we asked her. Yeah, and yeah, the session to Hamish is quite there in Groch. Is that yeah. he has had 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 dog mad doin a Gaelic na first Kutramuk de Alapa. Shane, I guess uh, I I got my Kutramuk on Santoli because in Jinagna the southern guy from the a come of the doll. Shane, well, how chilly are you? Almond been scorching. Well, I can answer it. Been scorching. I guess in chilly hackat right on in been scorching tall and kuchach. Carson a tohu and follow through the Gaelic. Well, she she smoking again. Own daughter son. Brought to the Yeah. It's a son a couple doll. So as I she shouldn't she was over going to hook she. When Scotland Harley. I guess uh will have have uh uh gun Gaelic via Tukshing and the Gopre. Chit the Vachanish. Good ear. Gopre can go ear Hansa. Aha, aha. I I I need some have yet to bring Gaelic a hula hula. No. A hula. Yes, I. Uh, he said, "Mara hanyo and oka." He said, "Mara hat kola." He said, "I got stock a girl, you know." Gaelic, I need a bullock. 
Cool, so good to give you. Well, I should and Connie and Dougie the Oh, cool, I got good cool, I got good Assassins of Hannon, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's be an arm character, son, a Gaelic. I'm so. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go to the next one. I'm going to go to the next one. I'm going to go to the 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 because Sky's great. Why would you Sky's ever great. want to live anywhere else? Why don't I leave Sky? Why did I leave Sky? Um, I, had, I had a narrow escape, really, <laughs> because I nearly got married to somebody who wasn't from Sky. Oh, so it was um, it was all quite serious, but it all fell apart. So mm. I ended up um, living in Fife, all right, okay. uh, which was uh, not not that far from my original home. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was it was it was looking back, it was probably a mistake. But the way things work out, you know, you, you can't really. You can't go back, look back, and regret. No, you just got to. No, I just got to look forward. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, I don't mean. You know, if I if um if I had stayed in Sky, well, who knows what I'd be doing now? If I, hard to say. Yeah. At what point did you come to Mull? It was when 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 Moira and I were uh, going to get married. Uh, Moira got the chance of work. She had me working in Glasgow, mm-hmm. and she got the chance of a, a job back home in Mull. <laughs> and at that time, I had been. Um, I'd been working for uh, Highlands and Islands Enterprise at that point. I did a, did a right. cut. I did a, it was a short contract with HIE, wow. doing IT work in the uh, late nineties. Um, okay. And the the contract was coming to an end, and I thought, well, how about self employment? Try that. You know. Yeah. yeah. You've been working with computers all your life. Do something different. Yeah. Uh, you know, even when I worked offshore and oil rigs, you know, most of the geological work I was doing was data processing and working with computers. So I've, yeah. been, I've been doing this sort of thing my whole life, and. Um, yeah, we decided just to go for it. So all the, you know, all the stressful things that could happen all happened at once. Getting married, moving house, going to live somewhere different, starting up self-employed, you know. And but, having a family. And having a family. That <laughs> took a, a few more years, but uh, yes. <laughs> no, that was good. And when you came to uh, Mall first, was it Tobermory that you came yes. to? Yes. Uh-huh. Was yeah. it the same house as now? Or? No, we stayed in a house called Wilton, which is just across the wall from where we are now. Okay. So, yeah. Gosh. So it's, uh, I've been there for, that's 20 years now. And what did you do as a self-employed person when you came to Mall? Well, I was doing, well, so it was mainly um, computer repair work. And I did websites as well at one point. That was uh, a, because that was become, that was a thing that I found when I was doing my work for Highlands and Islands Enterprise. Part of the work I was doing was IT advice, advising small businesses mainly and on the use of information technology. And the internet was becoming a big thing at that point. And I've heard the, of it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Things like people were wanting websites and I was yeah. advising them on this and stuff. So I did a bit of that to begin with. Um, but then I found that, um, you know, the, there was a bigger and bigger demand for actually hardware maintenance and that type of thing. And so that's what I ended up getting right in about, you know, and doing that. Of course, the thing that's that's moved on as well now because the growth of the internet has meant that there's people want internet everywhere. Yeah. You know, and a common request would be for something like somebody's got a, 
are letting property that's outside their own house, but that doesn't have Wi-Fi, but they've got Wi-Fi in the house. And could you get Wi-Fi into the letting property? You know, that's that's a common request and that type of work, quite a bit of that, you know, trying to extend networks. You know? We were talking about it earlier on, but uh, you, as, a, as someone who built computers, mm-hmm. it was Isle of Mull Computers, is yeah, the... Right, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there was quite an, uh, quite something significant happened in, was it 1999 or was it? Yeah, it was early 2000s. Yeah, that was the, yeah. the free computers. So as a self-employed person building computers on the island for sale on the island, how did the uh, free computers affect your work? Oh, yeah, well, so work? It's, a good, it's, a good, it's a good question, that one, because, you know, you're trying to establish a business selling PCs <laughs> and then the, a, the Scottish executive, as it was then, a, had this competition that local authorities were... A asked to take part in, and our Gallen Butte won it, and it was to supply get free computers for an urban and for a rural area. The rural area was the North Argyll Islands. Right. So Mull, Tyree, Col, Lismore, you know, all these places, Iona, all were given a free computer, a free printer, and free internet access for a year. And you think, ah, yes, now I'm selling computers, and here's the government giving them away for credit. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit tricky, um, but. Uh, in the end, it all worked out quite well because uh, it meant that a lot of people got into IT that probably wouldn't have. And these things needed fixing eventually. Not eventually, Qu- quite soon. Quite soon, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but the yeah, there's actually, there's still one or two of them being used. There are one or two of those machines still around. Mainframe servers. Uh, <laughs> they're still being used, it's surprising. But yeah, no, it was, um, it was, it was quite tricky for a, for a short while anyway. But um, I think, you know, there must have been a time when these North Argyle Islands had the greatest per capita use of computers and the internet anywhere in Britain. <laughs> but you think because every single household had one or yeah. was given one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whether they used it or not was another matter. Yeah. But um, it meant there was, a, there, was a, there was a huge uptake in the use of IT. So, no, it was good. It worked out in the end. And there was a lot of training um, potential with that as well, which I wasn't so heavily involved with. But, you know, Argyle College... Yeah put a lot into that yeah so your work now is fixing problems with computers yeah. hard drives and so on and, yeah. and networks as well yeah that's right i mean a lot of the work actually is security based because you get people phoning up asking about oh somebody phoned me up and asked to do something with my computer and i didn't know whether could, could you come and check it you know yeah. so it security is a real big thing and i you know, can't stress the yeah. they need to be really careful you know when somebody phones you up out the blue and says yeah. oh, oh i'm from google or i'm from microsoft or bt and there's a problem with your computer yeah. i need to take it over to fix it you know just put the phone down it's yeah. complete nonsense because as i've often said and i'm almost tired of saying bona fide IT tech companies do not phone you up out of the blue yeah. to tell you there's a problem with your machine, your router, your internet connection, anything like that. That's just anybody that's at that, they're a scam artist. So just yeah. put the phone down and don't, don't trust them. It can, it, can, uh, it can catch people out. One of the reasons I was keen to talk to you was you work as a geologist here on the island as mm-hmm. well. So you, you run geology tours as well. Yeah, I do trips during the during the summer. I mean, not not a huge number, but I've done them as uh, as trips I've advertised myself. I've done them as private uh, trips for people that have phoned me up asking for geology tours. And I've, I work with a, there's a guy called Angus Miller who's based in Edinburgh. He does geology trips all over Scotland, and whenever he's got something in Mull, he usually phones me up and asks me would I do it for him. You know, so. 
yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. So why why Mull? What is interesting about the geology of Mull? Well, the, the best way to answer that is to have a look at the geology map, the main geology map of Mull. I, I joke about it, it's like an explosion in a paint factory yeah, totally. because there's, there's all these colours that indicate the different rock types. Yeah. And of course, when you... It's a bit of a con, really, because you go out to look at this on the ground and the rocks are either grey, they're black, they're dirty grey, they're dirty brownish black, <laughs> greyish brown. You know, yeah. there's not the variety of colour that you would see on the map. But uh, no, it's, it's a highly complex area, Central Mull in particular. It's world-renowned. The science of geology, especially igneous geology and the mm-hmm. geology of volcanic activity, how it's been developed owes a lot to fieldwork and research that's been done in Mull. You know, the, our understanding of igneous processes and what goes on with volcanoes, a lot of that has been found by research that's been done here. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a world renowned. And that research is still ongoing. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a PhD student from Aberdeen who was working in this very area, in fact, northwest Mall, over the past couple of years, looking at the lava flows and uh, trying to make sense of them. And, uh, and I did my own research in the Lokushk area, South East Mall, you know, and that's all original research. So, but I mean, there's academics from universities all over come here and, uh, you know, PhD students and, you know, studying the rocks. It's, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's quite a big body of work being built up now. Yeah, I mean, the, the stuff I was looking at in the Lokushk area, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of scope there because it's quite unusual. It's not been recorded before. The stuff I found when I was doing my field work is quite unusual. It's really odd that it wasn't picked up by the... In which way? It's it's quite extreme. Uh, the rocks are very very rich in a mineral called olivine, and that olivine itself is olivine. <laughs> olivine, yes. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a main constituent of uh, basaltic rocks, and mm. it um, the olivine itself is very very magnesium rich, which is unusual. And um, there's there's all these chemical properties of it that create a nice, interesting story. And exactly what that story is is uh, hard to say. I've only just scratched the surface of it. What do you think the reason for that is? Is there is it the pressure? Is it what when you get high highly um, magnesium rocks like this? It usually indicates high temperature magmas are at work. And um, the other thing about these rocks is they're very very fresh. They're not altered. They're you know nice clean rocks. A lot of the mull rocks have been altered by late stage processes that have affected them. Um, which is why a lot of the rocks, when you see them in road cuts and things, have got a sort of greenish tinge to them. Okay. That's, a, that's the effect of late-stage alteration. So the late-stage alteration, is that things like... That's at the end of the volcanic... You, you, you mean, you've, got, you've got volcanoes erupting and then uh-huh. you know, stuff spewing out and ash and lava and stuff. Yeah. But at the, towards the end, you tend to get um, high-pressure, high-temperature fluids circulating. A lot of this will be rainwater and okay. groundwater circulates through the whole structure. And um, that can affect the rocks right. quite badly. It's called hydrothermal alteration. And that's affected the mall rocks quite a lot. Okay. But these ones I was looking at in southeast mall are quite unaltered. They're very only very slightly altered. And the implication is that they weren't affected by these late stage processes, which means that they must be very, very late in the whole sequence. Right, okay. So there's been a little pulse of activity. At the end? Of at it. the end. And that pulse of activity has been, uh, you know, quite quite interesting. So that's the stuff I've been looking at. In the global picture, what does that tell us about what's going on it at that point in time? I mean, it, it's the the rocks in Mull are very similar in a lot of ways to what you get in Iceland, and also Greenland. There's rocks in Greenland that are very similar to and Mars, what, I believe, as well. Yes, that's right. Well, yes, there's a lot. A lot yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of similarities. You know, the igneous activity that took place in Mull about sixty million years ago 
It only lasted for a fairly short time. It's about two and a half to three million year period. But, you know, you think, oh, and geol- that's the great thing about geology. You can, you can talk about two and a half, three million years. It's just a blink, a blink of, of an eye. Yeah. 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 It's it just a, a short, violent outburst, if you like. Up the whole West Coast, the whole West Coast would have been active at that time. Places like, you know, starting out at, well, places like St Kilda, mm. Skye, Rum, Canada, you know, Small Isles, Ardenmurchan, Mull, places like Arran, you know. And it even goes down to, you know, the southwest of England as well. Lundy Island is, you know, there's volcanic rock there that's related to the same time period. And, of course, there's Northern Ireland as well, and there's places like, you know, the, the famous Giant's Causeway, yeah. which is very similar to the rocks yeah. in Staffa, you know. At the period where this is happening... Are the con- the continents are, are are they're not in Pangaea form? They're no, kind of they're more open, yeah, but not be, as far as you know, they are yeah. at present. What's happened is that the most of the igneous activity that you associate with you know the west coast of Scotland, you know the the, the tertiary igneous activity, yeah. it was related to the opening up of the Atlantic Ocean. Right. Now the Atlantic is still opening up; it's still getting wet. I mean, it's, it's growing by a few centimeters each year. Yeah, and um, it's because there's you know there's lava coming out at the centre. Yeah. And uh, you know you're, the, the plates are slowly moving apart. There's a ridge of mountains all the way down the Atlantic. I mean, it's, it's one of these things. I mean, even even you go back to several hundred years ago, people looked at the shape of Africa and South America and yeah. thought, "Hang on, these bits look like they fit together." Yes. Why is that? The reason they fit together is because they were together at one yeah. point and have gradually moved apart. Mm-hmm. And they're, like I said, they're still moving apart. And uh, and you see that really well in places like Iceland. You know, Iceland sits right across that thing they call the Mid Atlantic Ridge. The geology of Iceland's fast. I've never been there. I'd love to go there sometime. But there's places in Iceland that just look like mull. Yeah. You know, you can see there's columnar basalt and there's waterfalls pouring over anything. That could be Karsig, you know. Yeah. It just it lo- sort of looks like it. Very, very similar. So it's, it's all tied together. In fact, if you wanted to get an, an idea of what mull looked like 60 million years ago, go to Iceland today and that will give you a pretty close approximation to it. And in terms of uh, geological features specific to Mull that are of interest, what are your favourite features here? Some of my favourites are probably some of the most obvious ones, like the columnar basalt that you get in Ulva, on the south coast of Ulva, and, and Staffa, obviously. Yeah. You get it at Karsig, um, Artun, you know, things like that. It's just fascinating, the symmetry in nature, you know, just the way it's cooled and it's formed these columns. What is the time period of that? Is it, it, does it cool over the period of hundreds of years, thousands of years, or is it instantaneous? Well, it's, it's fairly quick. You know, lava, really? lava flows will cool over Aye. a fairly short period of time, you know, because yeah. that, that stuff's all poured out of the surface. You know, it's poured out onto a, a land, a, onto a landscape of some sort. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, lava flows, you can see this today in places like, you know, Hawaii, where it's coming out, you know, it does solidify quite quickly. But you can have long periods of time between one lava flow and another, you know, it can sometimes be you know hundreds of years before the next one appears, but um, no, these 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 lava flows that you see like that are, you know, they wouldn't have taken too long to cool down. But um, yeah, that that I mean that's probably one of the, that one of the the most spectacular things that you can you'll, you'll see. Yeah, I, I love going to Iona as well. Iona's great. I mean, there's the colours and the rocks there are amazing. There's, there's, there's a beauty about the the geology of Iona. You, you don't actually get in Mull simply because of the diverse colours, uh, and that's I guess again due to the type of rock that's there. Most of it is made up of what's called Lewisian nice, which is yeah. what you get in the you know the Western Isles and Tyree. You know, it's much older, fascinating stuff, mm. and not particularly well studied either. It's almost like geologists have avoided it. If you try looking for academic papers on Iona, there's not a great number of them. You know, it's almost like it's it's been ooh, too hard. Don't want to go there. Is Dunne a plug of some sort, or is it? No, it's just a just a high up bit. <laughs> That's right. all. Yeah, it's just a higher area. Yeah. 
There's not, I'm not sure if there's anything particularly special about it, but it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's loose and nice, like most of that. Because right. I'm always fascinated by when I uh, occasionally drive for Tourist Mara and I go over to um, Ulva Ferry, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm always fascinated by that journey, particularly because you coming up the side of Loch Nakiel, uh, you see um, Inch, you see Yorsa in mm-hmm. front of you, then you see Inch Kenneth. Mm-hmm. And two entirely different rock types. Yes. And then over at Greben, I think it's Greben rather than Grulin, mm-hmm. yeah, Greben, you see the, the plugs, mm-hmm. the volcanic plugs that are there, the sort of vent things. And it's just like oh, this, in one one field of vision, you have incredible amount of geological history there of such well, diversity. Well, that's right. I mean, Inch Kenneth is mainly, as is, is rocks are Triassic conglomerates, and main, that's mainly what it's made of. Mm-hmm. Um, which you also get on the shore at Greben. Mm-hmm. Right. Greben's a fascinating bit because there, most of Mull is made up of three main age groups of rocks. There's there's the the biggest, the most you know, the most extensive are the basaltic lavas that you find, which are of tertiary age. You're talking about you know, sixty million years ago. Yeah. You've also got uh, at Greben, and you see them at Carsig as well. There's sedimentary rocks, sandstones, conglomerates, yeah. and stuff like that, which are what they call Mesozoic age, so they're sort of middle-aged. But also at Greben, you've got some of the underlying much older rocks. There's, a, there's rocks of what are called the Moin supergroup, which are metamorphic rocks, which you get all the way up the, the highlands. The North, the Highl- North Highlands is mainly Moin rocks. So at Greben, at Greben, there's a place where you can stand and you can actually see those three main groups of rocks and the one frame, as it were. Uh, and it's uh, you know there's a huge slice of geological time all in that one, you know, over a billion years in that one, um, that one picture, if you like, you know, it's good. It's amazing. Yeah. And I think Greben is the only place where you can see that uh, that full range, if you like, easily in in one place. You know? With geology, I always find it's in, it's great to talk about the rocks themselves, but actually, it's the the human effect, how that affects the soils, how that affects the the crops, how that affects all the different kind of forests and everything on top mm. of it. I find that particularly interesting. Is there anything that that stands out for you about Mull about the relation to from sub subsurface geology through to kind of um, how how we've come to live? It's not like Lismore, where there's a lot of limestone, which gives a very fertile soil. Yeah, you don't have so much of that. I mean, it tends to be pretty uniform almost. Um, but the one the one area where the geology most definitely affects how humans interact with it is in the shape of the landscape. The, what geologists would call the geomorphology, the shape of the land. You know, the fact that you have to take a long detour to go somewhere, or a <laughs> or particular loch's line. A part, you know, the best example I can think of is Loch Loch Spelv, Loch Ushk, and Loch Bui. They're all on a line, and the reason that they're all on a line is because the Great Glen Fault runs all the way through them. Yeah. Now the Great Glen Fault extends all the way up through Loch, you know, through Loch, Loch Linny, Loch Oich, Loch Ness, all the way up to Shetland, in fact, yeah. and it cuts off that southeast corner of Mull. Yeah. Um, you know, and if the if sea level was to rise by just a small amount, then the Lagan Peninsula would actually be a, a separate island. You know, it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have to rise that much at that point. But yeah, I mean that's a, that's 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 where the you know the landscape is very much shaped by the geology that's underneath it. Obviously, my father-in-law was uh, late Duncan McGilp, who died just recently there. And oh, Duncan was a great guy. I mean, I got on great with Duncan. He's full of old stories, full of old tales, you know, and just a real link with a a time that's long gone, in fact. And um, you know, I I, I was um, I remember one story, one one geological thing I'll mention. Mm. Um, uh, there's a there's a volcanic dike on the shore near Ardmore Point. And you, you can see it's, it's, it's almost, when you see it, it's almost like it's man-made. 
some of these dikes are, you know, they're quite incredible looking. Some of the ones down at Crogan as well, they're, they, they look like walls that have been built. In fact, the one, the famous one at Calgary at the pier has been used to, to you know, as part of the, the old ruined house at the pierhead. Um, so, you know, it's actually used as a wall. Well, there's, there's this dike, this volcanic dike near Ardmore. It's at Ruinashelovic, the point of the sorrow. And um, it stands up just like a, just like a, a human-made wall. And I was talking to Duncan about this, and he said, "Oh yes, that's Ardmore, the old man of Ardmore." Oh, and I've never seen that anywhere else. It's the only place I've heard it. Ardmore is the name of that uh, yeah. dike, and you can see it from—I think you can see it from the Kilhorn Ferry. Yeah. If you get to the right point, you know. So that's that's what that is. So now Duncan had all sorts of great tales, and I love going up Sarsdabin. You know, the little hill between. Yeah the one that people call a volcano, but it's not. It's a volcanic plug. It's not a volcano. <laughs> and um, he was saying, oh, yes, you get staghorn moss growing up there in profusion near the loch. And uh, any time I go up there now and any time I see the staghorn moss, I always think of Duncan. You know, I'd, I'd seen this stuff in the past, and I didn't know that's what it was called, you know. And he, it was Duncan that told me, yeah, staghorn moss, that stuff. And, yeah, whenever I see the staghorn, I always think of Duncan. Thank you again, Seamus. It was great to catch up. If you've listened to a few of these podcasts, there's a short film that you might really like called When the Song Dies by Jamie Chambers. It's about 15 minutes long and it's well worth your time. I'll put a link to it on the webpage and the file notes. Jamie's longer feature film, Blackbird, is also something to be sought out. It was a significant success in the Edinburgh Film Festival and when it was shown in the screen machine in Tobermory, it went down very well indeed, amongst many other Highland and Island locations. As these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make, I'm looking to fundraise through donations. So if you feel like it, and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee, or even the price of a packet of Cheetos Twisted Flaming Hots from Doogies, wherever you may be through the website. You'll see a donate tab there where you can donate if you so wished. I've also got a Patreon page for donations, which you can find under my name, Alistair Satchel. If you want to contribute to that, you're more than welcome. But don't worry if you can't or you don't want to. I'd much rather that you listen than you didn't. And on that note, thank you very much to Sally, Ali and Kev. Ali and Kev, every email I sent to say thank you to you bounced right back at me, so please accept my sincerest apologies and again, my thanks as well. Also, to help me grow the podcast, if you want to leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you use to listen, I'd be most grateful. Thank you to those of you that have. I really, really appreciate it. And as always, thank you to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's great to hear from you. Thank you. As ever, the webpage whatwedointhewinter.com has all the links and info you need from this episode, and we can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Yes, actually Instagram. I spent the majority of uh, yesterday setting up Instagram, so we can now be found there with a link to each previous episode. Thank you for listening. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. More in time. Shanoo.